We're talking about radio, the word radio. I know you who are here, many of you are connected with public radio. Some of you will have won the awards for the best documentaries in radio. We're talking about television, radio, meaning you do not see the picture, you hear the voice. Here's something called the vox humana, hear the human voice. As Ira Glass does so beautifully in the American life, you don't need to see his people, you know his people, because by their voice you know whether they're happy or sorrowful or heavy laden or free. It's the human voice that is disappearing to a great extent thanks to the advance in technology. I'm not a Luddite. I don't want to destroy the machines. I use a tape recorder with which I'm very inept. More about that in a moment. <laughs> but the point is radio involved the audience far more than television ever did. Now your, your grandparents, great-grandparents, heard the voice of a man named Franklin D. Roosevelt, the President of the United States in the Great American Depression. They didn't see the man. They saw the man, they see a guy who's polio, 50 pounds of iron each of his legs lifted up by his son every day. But you heard that voice and the words. I see one-third of a nation, ill-fed, ill-clothed, ill-housed. People at home, a couple in New York City with a little kid, a farm couple losing their farm, an old, old woman in a nursing home hearing it, talking to that one single person. Now, if I were to ask you, you watch television and the last election of Bush and Gore, can you remember one word either of them said? Can you remember one word either of them talked about? No. But you remember the words of Roosevelt because it was radio, the human voice that was heard. Now, I was light bone to pick with a man named Marshall McLuhan. Many of you here are students as well as those who work in radio. Marshall McLuhan was a brilliant man who understood the new media, and he spoke with the medium being the message, but he made one terrible mistake. He spoke of television as the cool medium. He coined a phrase, cool medium. Haskell Wexler, that great cinematographer, used it in a movie about Chicago Convention called Medium Cool. But cool medium, he took the language of jazz, cool jazz, Miles Davis, Warm jazz, Louis Armstrong. According to Marshall McLuhan, cool jazz is more cerebral. That is, you're more involved with it. You've got to listen to it harder. He couldn't be more wrong when he called radio, or called television, a cool medium. It isn't. It doesn't involve you. You see images, they disappear. You don't even see faces, they disappear. But radio holds you. The word couch potato was never heard before television. You never heard the word couch potato for radio because the audience was involved. I'll give you the best example. You have to point, I know I'm limited for time because we're going to hear the awards. The best case in point, to prove my point, that McLuhan is wrong in this one case, is, my, is Dylan Thomas' prose poem called Under Milkwood. It's a beautiful poem about a Welsh village from the morning, the afternoon, the evening, the night, and you hear this on BBC. He's the narrator, and you hear others later on, Richard Burton was narrator. You, the radio listener, 
know that village through the words. You set the scene design in your head. He spoke of a blind Captain Cat. An actor named Hugh Griffiths played the role. You didn't know him, but you heard that voice. And you drew the image of Captain Cat, the girl of the town, Polly Garter. All the men got her Polly. Now, you just heard about her. You heard her voice. You knew who she was, her vulnerability. You see. Later on, there was a television version of Under Milkwood, and it was a very, very good one. William Ball's company, San Francisco, did it. Richard Dysart, a wonderful actor, did Captain Cat. But it wasn't my Captain Cat when I heard it on the radio. It was my Captain Cat for the words of Dylan Thomas. I was involved. I was creating as well as he. And when a good actress named Janice Young played the role of Polly Garter, it wasn't my Polly Garter. Because this you saw. You have to contribute nothing. But in Radio View, the audience contribute. That's why that's the cool medium. And it's the exciting one today. We need it more than ever. Now, we know in commercial radio, we know what's happening. Automatic voices, more and more stations, more and more smaller, bigger entrepreneurs take over more and more, and we hear the same voices. But through what we hope we retain, public radio, we can hear these voices. And that's why I feel honored tonight to be honoring the producer of the winning program. But now a confessional before I hang up. I work with a tape recorder, and I'm called an oral historian, which is a joke. Oral history long preceded the fountain pen, long preceded Gutenberg, long preceded typewriter, and certainly the word processor. Oral history was spoken from fires by medicine men and shamans and all. The difference between me and my predecessors, I have a tape recorder, and I, I don't know how the hell it works. <laughs> I, have, I happen to be very inept. I'm inept mechanically. I can't drive a car. I take a bus. I can't ride a bike. I miss the tape recorder a lot. I misplaced the button. I lost Martha Graham. I lost R Michael Redgrave. I almost lost Bertrand Russell in a small village in North Wales during the Cuban Missile. If I did, I'd have put my head in the oven. But the fact is, it's that tape recorder. I'm enamored of the tape recorder. There's only one other American enamored of the tape recorder. You know who that was? Richard Nixon. <laughs> Nixon and I. I refer, I refer Richard Nixon and me as neo-Cartesians. As you heard of Descartes, I think, therefore I am. In the case of Dick Nixon, I tape, therefore I am. In any event, I w I w I'm using this moment, a few moments left, to pay tribute to my colleague. He's not here tonight because he's ill. Jimmy Unrath, who was announced for many years in WFMT, who volunteered one day, 52 years ago, to work with me on what I call documentaries. And Jimmy Unrath is the guy who worked closely with me all these, without him, there wouldn't have been all these documentaries which I'm honored tonight, and one of which won the Prix Italia, which is like a Nobel Prize. Now, Jimmy, I'll end with this one anecdote to tell you how much I owe my collaborators not here tonight, that no one person does it. There is no one person for that program. It involves a number of people. This involves Jimmy as well as myself. There was a certain program written by a certain book written by Norman Corwin. Does that name ring a bell? 
to most. Now, some of you know his name. The old, he was the great writer of radio. He elevated the word for Columbia Broadcasting System. Back in the 30s, 40s, early 50s, he elevated the word of radio more than anybody. And his great program at the end of World War II, no, VE Day, when Hitler surrendered, May 8th, 1945, was the most exciting volcanic program. It was called On a Note of Triumph. He worked for months on that for this one day, May 8th, 1945, the end of Hitler. And Norman Corbin also wrote a book called Overkill and Megalove, but it was not a radio program. He gave me permission to do it on the radio. And Jimmy Unrath is working with me. It's about the atom bomb. It's about Hiroshima. But what would happen in the world if we go crazy and let the militarists take over no matter who they are? And in this particular program, the world is only left to two men, lunatics, have waged the war. And here we're close to it now. And the two chieftains of the opposite countries are alive, and they're both dying. And one dies as he fades out. And I want Jimmy. Jimmy, I want to get the sound. It's in my head. And Jimmy can execute it on the turntables. I want the sound of the last human on Earth. The last sound. Not a bang or a whimper, as T.S. Eliot said, the world will end not with a bang, with a whimper, not that. I want something like a sigh or a groan, I don't know what, something stupid. And with a, some kind of electricity involved. So Jimmy is so brilliant, he'll take three turntables to do it. He's, look, I got two hands and five fingers. I will do this. Now all I want you to do, he says to me, studs, all I want you to do is when I nod my head on the third table as a button. See that button? Press that button. I get it, Jimmy. When you nod your head, I'll press that button. That's it. That's good. Now Jimmy is working as like a genius. He's like Toscanini. He's pregnant, and he's got this sound, the sound I wanted, the whole for hours. And he got the sound, and he presses the button. No, and he say, he nods his head, and I say, now? And Jimmy goes, oh, my God. Let me start it. Now, studs, he says, studs, listen, I know you're pretty inept. He's, listen, I don't want you to say now. He spent a half hour. I don't want you to say anything. I nod my head. Don't say a word. Press the button. Okay, Jimmy. He's like George talking to Lenny and the mice and men. And so finally does it again. And he says, nods his head, and I say, I don't say anything. I go, and then he goes again. He finally did it, and we got the sound. And that's why, so Jimmy's not here tonight. He's being on as well as I am. And so I want to say, before I hang up, that I'm delighted to be here tonight, and I'm, my hopes have been heightened a bit, considering headlines and everything else. I've heightened a great deal seeing you tonight and the work that Ira and the rest of you are doing. And so, on your way, on our way to Canaan land, here we go. Thank you.